So we are in uh, Colossians still. And uh, chapter 3 is where we're at today. And I want, want to do a little bit of a review of, of where we've been. And uh, there we go. <clears throat> a few weeks back. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the foundation of it all, right? That Christ is in us. And because Christ is in us, then we have this hope of glory. That is an incredible thing. See, I used to be dead, but now I'm alive because Jesus is in me. Uh, I used to live life on my own, and it was all up to me. And then Jesus came. And now he's living his life through me. It used to be me, now it's Jesus. And because he is in me, well, I'm never alone. He goes with me everywhere I go. And he is the hope of glory. Then a couple weeks back, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, I think it was, 1 and 2 maybe. Set your hearts and minds on things above. Because Jesus is in me, I am a new creation. And things have changed. I used to live a life on my own, focused on this life and this world. And now, Jesus is in me, and it changes everything for me. I used to be focused on little tiny things, right? Now, my heart and my mind are set on the things above, the things that are eternal. I have a whole different perspective on life. I used to think that I had, well, okay, that I probably had 25 years to live. And then when I hit 25, I said, well, I'll probably make it to 40. And then, well, someday maybe I'll be 60. And now I'm thinking 105 looks pretty good. But that would have been the total of what I had to hope for and long for, right? It's what was here. But then Jesus came. And the things that are here, this short breath, this mist, this morning dew is gone before you know it. So my perspective of things has changed, right? Now my mind is set on the things above, things that are eternal. It's a whole new way of living. But then we came to last week. And God is so smart. Through writing this letter that Paul wrote, he's so smart. What did he teach us first? That Christ was in us. And that we should set our hearts and minds on things above. And then where does he take us? Back to some reality and some hard truth that we all know. And that is this. We live with lust and anger. Um... It would be nice if there was a magic pill that because now Jesus is in me that my earthly, carnal, sinful nature was gone. But it's not gone, is it? And it must be dealt with. And the proper way to deal with it is to put it to death. But what most of us like to do is ignore it, mostly, except for the times when it cannot be ignored, then we ask forgiveness as quickly as we can so that we can run away from it. Because I don't know about you, but if I stop and consider 
my ability to lust and my ability to be angry? It's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? You see, we do have an earthly nature. It's in there. And um, we have to deal with it. We can't live from it any longer. Because we've set our minds and our hearts on the things above, living out of our lust and anger is no longer an option. But denial is no longer an option either. And so here we are with our lust and anger. Just to remind you again, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount said, You have heard that it was said, Thou shalt not murder. But Jesus said, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Give me the law, right? Because I have not murdered anybody that I'm aware of. But angry? <laughs> Ooh. How about not just angry, but rage? Malice and slander? Remember? All those things we talked about last week? And then Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Check. I'm good. Oh, wait. But I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. Now, both of these things, it's interesting to me that lust and anger, they both come from something that God has given us. Right? Like, anger typically comes from at, at least a beginning point of, of justice. Something wasn't done right. And it makes us mad. And, you know, the Bible says, in your anger do not sin. There's a time to be angry. There are things to be angry over. Jesus was angry. This is different, right? This kind of anger. This is the one that's malice and rage and slander, which Jesus never did. This is the one where I feel like I didn't get what was coming to me. And I'm torqued. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Or lust. It comes from desire. And God has given us desire. And he's given us ways that he meets those desires. But when we turn away from him to meet those desires on our own, that's when lust is born. And so, it is from something that God has given us, but it's from something gone wrong that we have anger and lust. And I know it's uncomfortable. I understand why we want to run from these two topics. Because how do you feel when we start talking about your lust and your anger? Guilt? Shame? Uh, condemnation? Accusation? See, I used to think that when I would examine myself and I would see that sin that is in me, shame, 
overcomes and overwhelms. I don't know how you deal with shame, but most of us, we can't take shame very long and very much. It's a killer, right? It will shut you completely down. And then all these words come in. Tony, you idiot. You murderer. You adulterer. How do you think God could love you after what you thought? Right? See, I used to think that was all from me and God. I used to think that God kind of was up there with his arms crossed or his finger or at least a look on his face at me and what I have done in my lust and anger. But praise God, it wasn't him. It was my enemy who is the accuser of the brethren. Right? It is my enemy who brings condemnation because there is no condemnation in Jesus. And so as we sit here with our lust and our anger and all of this junk starts coming in and coming up, Remember, you have an enemy that's fanning that up into a big flame. And that he is a liar. And he is full of condemnation. And he loves to get me in his camp. That I will accuse myself and I will condemn myself. But God has a different view of things. And this is Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Right in the middle of sitting here with our lust and our anger, God interrupts the conversation with a headline that says, He chose you. And you are holy and dearly loved. Many of us are, uh, we have collections, right? I, I collect spittoons, okay? Yeah, I know, it's weird. But you go to the flea market, and you walk around, and you're looking for the premium thing that you collect. The one you do not have, or the one that's in a little better condition than what you have, right? Right? And you're on a hunt and a mission, looking over all of the stuff at Sparks to find just the right thing. And when you find it, quickly, you hide the look on your face so the person selling it won't know that you'd give your very life for this thing, right? And say, well, it's only worth a dollar or two. But inside, you're thinking, oh, this is a $1,000 thing. I've got to have this. And you skip home all the way with your treasure that you found. <clears throat> we think that's the way God is. That God has come to the flea market of this earth and he's looking around trying to find the right one. The right person with just the right attitude and just the right morals and just the right character and just the right position of authority that God would take back to the kingdom and, and show Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Look, look at this one. I stole this. Can you believe it? We think that's God's view of us. But that's not God's view at all. 
God's view as he comes to this earth and he finds the broken, worthless, rusted pieces. And he says, look what I found. I want this one. He chose you. Not because you were hiding your lust and anger or acting like you don't have any. He chose you because He saw that anyway and He saw you through it. You understand you've been chosen? God is not picking up the junk. But the things that He picks up has some corrosion and some dings. Lust and anger and other sin. And in the middle of that junkyard, God chose you. And He treasures you. You understand? He chose you. He chose you and He picked it up. He picked you up and He said, Look, it's holy. I don't see holy. I see lust and anger. Don't you? That's just the verse right before this. We're just talking about our lust and anger. And now, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy. Is it possible for you to be living with lust and anger and to be holy? See, if, if you don't think so, that's called unbelief. It means you don't agree with what God believes. Because God says you are holy. Do you think you're holy because of your lust and anger? <laughs> That's ridiculous. You're holy because of the work Jesus Christ did. Jesus did this. He found you. He chose you. He made you holy. And now God says that you are dearly loved. And we've talked about this, and I don't know the right words or the language to use. Sometimes we talk about love, and it c comes under the category of obligation. Right? Like those of you who are parents, and your kid is up at 2 in the morning, and they're puking all over the bed, and you're dead tired, but they're in there just making a mess of things, and you love them, because you're their parent, but you don't love them. You know what I mean? I would rather be asleep than cleaning this mess up. And so a lot of times we think of God in that way that, well, he made this mess, he has to clean it up type of love. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that you are dearly loved. He chooses to be with you. You know that feeling? You're at a party or an event or some kind of gathering and somebody comes in that you want to spend time with. And you kind of, you don't want to be stalking them or anything, but you're kind of keeping your eye on them as they come in the door to, to see where they go and what they do because you want to say hello and talk to them. And you watch as they go from person to person to person, but never you. Right? Again, it's not the way God works. 
when God throws open the door at the party where you're at, you know what he says? <gasps> there you are! Because he dearly loves you. Are you getting this? Why are these things in the order they're in here? Remember what happened on Friday? Not this Friday. Good Friday. Jesus was crucified. Remember what happened with his crucifixion? All of the sin of the world was placed on Jesus. And he took it to the cross. Put it to death there. <clears throat> then on Sunday... The tomb was empty, and Jesus is raised from the dead. Now here's the interesting thing. How deep do you go down into the grave on Friday? Because the depth that you go down on Friday is the limit to the up that you're going to have on Sunday out of the resurrection. What do I mean by that? What do you think about your lust and your anger? Well, I, there's times when I'm not a very nice person, and there's been some times I've, there's things I've wanted. But overall, I, I'm not so bad, and, you know, that's like you scratch the surface on Friday. Guess how much resurrection you're going to have come Sunday? about that much do you know the depths of the depravity of your lust and your anger do you know you've been chosen you're holy and deeply loved is it because you were the pick of the litter you know, looking around here, I'm not so bad in this crowd. I feel pretty good. God's pretty lucky to have me. See the arrogance in that? When you know, look, I'll just be transparent for a moment. I'm 60 years old. I've gone to church all my life. I've been a, quote, Christian as long as I can remember and do you know that this past week after walking with God after being one with him after reading his word and communing with him after having all of my sins forgiven do you know that this very past week I got angry Do you know that? After everything that God has done for me, I still can be angry? How in the world is that even possible? You understand what I'm saying? What kind of a person is able, after experiencing the love of God, to still respond in anger to someone? Let me tell you. My hole on Friday, it's getting deep. To realize, after living with a loving God so long, that I could still choose to live from my sinful nature and get angry. 
Can you relate to that? Oh, sure, there's people in, in prison that are there for murder. And, and that's bad, and I'm, I, they should have not done that. Right? But do you think they probably had a reason to do that? You know, hurt people, hurt people, and all that kind of stuff? Why, how in the world could I possibly justify my anger from last week? You understand where I'm going with this? And how deep lust and anger? How black is your sin? Because the blacker your sin is, the more these words, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, will transform everything about you. What in the world does it feel like to know that in the midst of your lust and anger, God chose you? What does that stir up in you? How about the kindness of the Father? That He is so patient and gentle with me. You know, I'm piling on myself about my past sin. And, and God, in His mercy, is there with His compassion. Jesus, who knows our every weakness. Jesus, who came to earth and was tempted in every way, which is something I can't claim. He knows. The compassion, the kindness, the gentleness. How about this? How about the humility of our God, the creator of the world, Jesus, who became a man so that he could pay the price for what I have done so that I could be with him. You think of the humility that Jesus has? The author of the story comes in to rescue us? Oh my. It's overwhelming, isn't it? The kindness, the tenderness, the compassion, the humility, the graciousness of God, it is overwhelming. And so the rest of verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're taking off this lust and anger, right? I hate that as much as God does. And what is God giving me, clothing me with? His compassion. God is so compassionate towards me. I'm without excuse, right? So are you. You know Jesus. He lives within you. You have no excuse to continue in your lust and anger. Yet you do, and God gives you compassion. So put on the compassion. Put it on. How about kindness? You know, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God is so kind. 
when you are so angry and you are so lustful and you are so living out of your sinful nature, God is so kind. And the humility that he has to keep putting up with us, you know what I mean? His gentleness and his patience. How do you treat your heart? The way you treat your heart is the way that you will treat others. So, when you're caught and your lust and anger are exposed, do you have compassion towards yourself? Because God does. Do you have kindness towards yourself? Because God does. Humility, gentleness, patience. How do you treat yourself when you're caught in your sin? This is the way God treats you. Because you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, how should you treat others? The depth that you go down on Friday is the depth that you experience compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And that bucket full of those things that you have on Friday is the reservoir that you have to give to other people after the resurrection on Sunday. So do you find that you are not compassionate to other people? I suggest it's because you do not realize how compassionate God has been to you. And that you therefore do not treat yourself with compassion. And therefore are unable to be compassionate to other people. The same with kindness. The same with humility. The same with gentleness and patience. How much have you experienced? The deeper you go into your awareness of your own lust and anger of your sin... The deeper you go there, the more you will experience compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And the more that you will then be able to treat yourself that way and to treat others that way. So I would tell you, rather than reading this verse as a task for you to go do of put on these things, right? How about you put your effort into examining lust and anger in your life how about you come to terms with the depth of your own sin how about you come to understand how much God has forgiven you and how kind and compassionate and patient and gentle and humble he is with you and that will well up inside of you and you will not be able to contain it you will not help but treat other people that way. <clears throat> I must treat myself this way so that I can treat others this way. And then verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance to get someone. 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Here's the reality. I'm living with lust and anger. And so are you. And when we come together, it's a fine cocktail of your lust and anger and mine mixing together. And that means there's going to be friction between people. And that means we're going to need to bear with each other. Do you like living in the consequence of my sin? Because I'm not especially fond of living in the consequence of yours. Right? But that's where we're at and that's what we're doing. That's what this life, this world is. So bear with one another. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, you have been wronged. Hey, they fouled me. Yeah, they fouled you. They did. So now what? Well, the betrayed almost always becomes the betrayer. In response to being betrayed, we most always betray someone. The one who betrayed us or someone else. It's the way it works. Break the cycle. When you have been grieved by someone, and you must bear with them, remember, you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You have experienced the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the patience and gentleness of God. So out of that reservoir, you can give that to someone else and bear with them. You can forgive them. How can you do it? That's the way Jesus forgave you. Have you been forgiven? How deep is your Friday? How deep is that grave? That's the bucket of forgiveness that you experience. And that's the bucket of forgiveness that you have to give to others. Do you find it hard to forgive people? Could it be that you don't realize how much you've been forgiven of? I think so. None of us like to spend time looking at and considering our lust and anger, our sin. I know. I don't either. But without that examination, the seeing what is in me that God has forgiven me of, I have very limited capacity to forgive. But the more I know that I have been forgiven, the more I am able to forgive. In verse 14. All of these things, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Look, let's just... Put our foot down and stomp and say, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Right? It's a command. Darn it. Go do that. And you can read it that way. I don't believe that's the heart of it at all. I believe the heart of it is this. Remember the compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience you you have received? Forgive that way. Not as a threatening command. Not as a do this or you'll die. 
He's reminding us what He has done to us. And the word that covers all of that, that He's done to us, is called love. So, verse 14, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Do you want to know what the Father's love looks like? He loves you so much that He sent Jesus to live as a man to take on the sins of the world, which He had none, to take those to the cross, to pay the ultimate penalty for sin, which is death. God did that because he loves you. Now see, trying to somehow stir up inside of me some compassion, or some kindness, or some forgiveness, or some love, is really just a fool's errand. But, to see the love that has been poured into me, to know the compassion that God has for me, to have experienced His kindness and His humility, to live every day in, with knowing that God is patient with me, out of that, I can love others. I can. Out of knowing that I live with lust and anger and sin. And knowing that you do the exact same thing. I can have compassion. I can be tender and gentle and kind. I can forgive you. I can bear with you. Right? And over all of that, doing all of it strictly for one thing because of love I told you this kind of story before and it's 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 true but it's earthly so it's limited in this but before I was married I kind of felt alone and I kind of felt the need for other people to validate me you know because I was single and nobody had said that I'm the man and then I met this hottie and convinced her to marry me. And she loved me. And do you know, because I knew that I had a person who was my person who loved me, I didn't need everybody else to fill that spot. Because I had somebody. Right? I knew. No, no matter what else the world thinks, when I get home tonight, someone's going to be there that loves me. And then, I got a dog. And the dog took it to a whole other level, right? I mean, here's just a test. Lock your wife in the trunk for an hour. Lock your dog in the trunk for an hour. And see which one's happy when you come open the trunk. That kind of love, right? That kind of acceptance, that kind of... Because, because of this love of this beautiful woman, it was meeting needs in me, and I could therefore give love to other people. 
Now that's this much love on a human scale. Now blow that up into the way that God loves me. God loves me ultimately and completely. And living in that love then enables me to love. So I put on love because God loves me. None of this stuff is possible because of me or you, right? This isn't that I'm working hard and trying to act like Jesus. It's that I am filled with Jesus and He is living through me and through you so that we can forgive, so that we can be kind, so that we can bear with each other, so that we can be gentle and have compassion because that's what we've experienced. See, because Christ is in you, you have the hope of glory. If Christ is not in you today, He wants to be. It's an available thing for you today to choose Jesus. So Jesus chooses you. He wants you. He loves you. He has compassion for you and kindness. If you've not experienced that, it's real. And I don't care how black your sin is. How awful. How deep. I don't care. The love of God covers that. But if you are here today and you do have Jesus in you. But you don't know much about compassion and kindness and tenderness and forgiveness. You can know. It's real. You see, if you don't realize how nasty your lust and anger are, it doesn't mean it's not nasty. It just means you don't know. God knows. God knows. How about you start to consider that? You know, sometimes we get this idea that, thank God I'm not like somebody in prison. At least I didn't do that. Oh, friends. I wish you were in prison. That would remove one more roadblock and stumbling block so you could realize that you have a problem. And it is your lust and anger. And God has dealt with it. And He is dealing with it. And He will continue so that you can put it to death and put off of those things, put off of, put off those things and live with the glory of God, which is compassion and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness. So, let's pray. Jesus, if there's anybody here today who has not accepted you, let them, let them pray this. Jesus, I give myself to you. I need a Savior. 
I have been guilty. I have broken your law and your command. And I need to be redeemed. And Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior of all mankind. So I accept your forgiveness. And, and Jesus, if there's anyone here today who is not aware of the depth of their sin, Holy Spirit, come and open my eyes. Let me see the depth of my sin, of the ways that I live in unbelief, of the way my sinful nature, my lust, and my anger have been impacting me and those around me. May I realize how much I don't believe God, open my eyes and let me see that I may know the depths of your love and your forgiveness. Now for the rest who are aware, God, I pray that you would continue to open my eyes and expose the fruitless deeds of darkness that I continue to participate in. Open my eyes, God. I want to be faithful and true to you and no other. I do not want to be a double-minded man. I want to walk in your ways. I want to have your thoughts. I want your joy and your peace and your love to reign in my life. That I may share it with those around me. That I would love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that I would love my neighbors as myself. Oh, God, we thank you for these blessings and the way you love us, the way you've chosen us, the way that you have made us holy. May we believe what you say is true. We pray all this in your name, Jesus.